Welcome to Take Heart, where our goal is to give you hope and offer insight and encouragement so you can flourish in your journey as a special needs mom. Each week, Amy, Carrie, and Sarah will explore a theme and share an inspiring story, practical tip, and an encouraging blessing using our combined experience of over 30 years of parenting children with special needs. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Sarah, and I am here with Amy and Carrie, and we are talking about grief this month. So grief is such an important topic for society as a whole. It's not a fun one, but what we're here to talk about today, though, is grief specific to special needs moms, and we live with grief on a continuous basis. As I was preparing for this podcast, I started with the different types of grief, and I was honestly surprised at how many different types of grief there are out there that are defined. So just to name a few, there are anticipated grief, continuous grief, recurrent grief, chronic grief, then there's depression and PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. That's where I stopped. I could seriously go on and on, but I got a little bored and a little overwhelmed, to be quite honest. And I would venture to say we have our own special type of grief, though. It's a grief only caregivers know. And I dare say as long as long term caregivers to our children with special needs, we most likely experience each different type of grief, sometimes all together and sometimes separately. Our grief is ongoing. It is anticipated because we know something else will eventually arise, whether that's tomorrow, a week from now or in a year. And we know it's out there. We have a form of PTSD because events or situations trigger traumatic events, be that diagnosed day or the devastating event itself. We grieve what has been lost, our dreams for our child, our grandchildren, possibly retirement, whatever that looks like for you. We also grieve what is lost right now, normal schedules, normal sleep schedules, close relationships with the child who may or may not be able to to be close to us typically developing children, times, finances. I could go on and on for that with with that as well. And then we also grieve for what will be or what will not be in the future. Possibly you have a terminal or a medically fragile child and you are grieving their deterioration. Maybe you're grieving because you know your child with attachment or behavioral issues may not want or know They just don't know how to have a close relationship with you. Or maybe you grieve for your own dreams of retiring and traveling with your spouse and just fill in the blank here. Whatever you have grieved, are grieving now or will grieve in the future, the process of grief can be daunting and can feel never ending for caregivers. So one of the things that I want to ask you ladies today is, let's start with... Carrie, what has been your most profound experience with grief so far like in regards to your child with special needs? My answer is twofold, and that is probably the greatest thing that I have grieved was when our son had his four to six hour convulsive seizure when he was five or six. Um, undoubtedly, it was just one of those things that I dreaded and just I didn't want my child to experience. I didn't want to experience. And I had just never doubted God in those moments like I had 
Um, it was March 17th and 24th. Like those dates are forever etched in my memory. And I just, I remember the, my kids were on spring break and I lost all that time with them. So it wasn't just the grief of loss of fearing um, whether our son would have function again. I mean, he ended up like going back on his feeding tube full time and not being, being able to hold his head up after that experience because he had so many seizure medications in his body. Um, We had to move to the rehabilitation floor and then he came home on Good Friday. And so just, I think that that's just one of the things. And I think it was just so difficult because it was just so unexpected. And I find that the grief over the things that aren't expected is sometimes the greatest or the hardest, at least for me to deal with. Um, Secondly, I think it's also been walking through watching my son grieve his own process, his own grief process that he has started. As the older he's gotten, the more aware that he's been that he won't walk ever on this side of heaven, that he can't play basketball like his brothers do. Um, And just his questions that are so hard to answer and to hold. Why did God allow him to be this way? Why can't he heal him on this side of heaven? And just recently we were in the car together and we were listening to um, Stephen Curtis Chapman's Beauty Will Rise album. It's an older album, but it is certainly, if you don't know it, I, I would highly recommend it. It walks through their own grief when their daughter passed away um, tragically. And he just started asking me questions and telling me, this story. He said, Mom, every time I go into surgery, right before I fall asleep, I ask God, are you with me? And of course, by this time, I'm sobbing in the car as we're having this conversation. And I said, well, what does he say, buddy? And he said, definitely. Um, And so it's just hard because I wish that I could take away his pain, his suffering, you know, even his doubts. But I know that's also letting him work, work out his own faith and work out his own journey um, in relationship with God. So those are two areas that have been the greatest griefs in my life. Yeah. And I can say that when your child is grieving, it's so much harder than when you're grieving. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's almost, it's just amplified. So yeah, I would be a bawling mess in the car too. <laughs> it's a great story though. I love it. How about you, Amy? Well, for us, it's a little bit different. Um we don't have like a specific moment where we had a diagnosis, but I would say, I would say one of the hardest moments is several years ago when we had to um, send our daughter, who was ten at the time, to a residential treatment center because she was a danger to herself and to our family. And at that point, I was just exhausted and feeling shame and guilt that I had to do this, and with. This kind of, um, you know, she has a reactive attachment disorder. When they can't attach to you and when they push you away and their behavior is harmful to others, there's a whole lot of mom guilt that goes in there because you think, if I just had the right discipline system or the right chore chart or whatever, you know, this I would be able to fix this. So it's not like, it's not something that you tell a lot of people, I think, because if your child's in the hospital, I, I assume that you have people you reach out to and they understand a child's in a hospital but not so much in this so the initial grief 
of making this decision, I'll never forget it. I was sitting on my back porch and said, she has to go or one, I have to take the other kids. And my husband and I found a place to, for her to go. Um, that was, I really felt such grief and, and it's, and that was like a flashpoint, but it's been a continual grief of not having a relationship with her and our son. Um, and it pops up in different ways. It pops up when you see another 17-year-old girl with her mom and you went, oh, yeah, that's how old my daughter is. And we've never had that relationship. So but definitely that moment of just making that decision was one filled with fear and grief. But it's just been a continual um, steady drip of grief, I would say, <laughs> since that day. Well, and I would think because I know like Carrie and I, we have We've talked about this before on other podcasts, too. Um, but with our child, our children, they're physical disabilities. I mean, my son mm-hmm. does have behavioral and cognitive, but people see him. They see the cute child in the wheelchair first. And mm-hmm. like you said, we have anything that we need. People are there. We can talk about it. And I would think in this situation, because your your children's diagnoses are so misunderstood, yeah, um, that it makes the grieving process harder. Would you say that that's true? And how have you coped with that, the loneliness aspect of the grief as well? Can you speak to that? Yes, it's it's definitely isolating because people just don't understand it. And I don't expect them to understand it because I don't understand it. You know, we're made for connection. We're made for that. So it's hard to understand a child that can't do that. Um, So... For me, the thing I did wrong was continue to isolate myself. I was just so afraid of being judged. And I was judged by a lot of people. And some very hurtful things were said about our family. And I've gotten a lot tougher skin <laughs> since that day ten, many years ago. I mean, I'm a lot tougher skin now. But um, I think for me, I've had, I think for me, the thing that's helped me work through the grief is therapy to have a, a counselor who says, look, this is the truth of this attachment disorder. They can't attach to you. And this is nothing you've done wrong. And I've had to, it doesn't mean I still don't grieve that, but it's kind of helped me cope with it a little bit better and look at it differently. And I always say that um, if your child was in a wheelchair, you wouldn't expect them to get out and walk up a mountain. So I have to think of it like that, right? I can't expect it. And so lowering my expectations has actually helped me a little bit with um, that grief process. It's also very helpful that I have other children that I am health, I have healthy attachments to. I have several friends that that's their only child and that is, that is very devastating and I, my heart goes out to them. So that, I guess that's my answer, yeah. Yeah, so one of the things that you had said that makes me think of this and I would like for both of you to speak to this as well is you said yours is an ongoing grief, and I can only assume that since you've had different stages, the process of grief has evolved or changed over the years for you. Um, how has that, how has grief changed for you or evolved or, I don't know, maybe you've regressed. <laughs> I don't know. How has it changed for you over the years? Um, I would say a great description of grief is it's a hole in the floor and you fall into it a lot initially and then the hole always is there but you learn to walk around it and I think I said this in my podcast I've learned that grief will not kill me (laughs) that that God's graciousness is there and that there's beauty in every day I just can't let it consume me so as I process through I have moments where definitely um, 
it flares back up. But I just keep walking towards God. And like I said, it doesn't go away. It doesn't make it all better. But I know that he's holding me. And I think if you've listened to any of our podcasts, you'll know I'm a big old striver. So learning to um, lean onto God in that process has helped me a lot. It's not easy, but definitely that's, I just have to keep reminding myself that this is the life that I've been called to and that he will equip me for that. Yeah. Yeah. I know that for me, I, I used to try to power through the grief. You know, you hear so often, and I know both of you have spoken to this, but, and Kira, I know you have in podcasts before, but people always say, you're such an inspiration, or I couldn't do what you do. And whether or not you believe it or not, you internalize that. And so for me, the process of grief is when they say that, they ha- they're they not saying that I shouldn't be upset. And it really doesn't matter what they're trying to say when they say that. Mm-hmm. If I need to cry, I need to cry. If I need to call my therapist or email her and say SOS, <laughs> then that's what I do. And grieving is very personal, but it's personal between you and God. And like you said, you know, God is there. He is He is right next to the brokenhearted. I mean, it says that in scripture. And so that's what I always think, too, is for my process of grief is however I'm feeling at the moment is the way I need to feel. As long as I'm bringing God into that grief, he wants to be right there next to me in that grief. So that's kind of how it's processed for me or changed over the years. How about you, Carrie? How has your grief evolved or changed? I think... I think one of the things I've learned is just not to, I used to kind of rail against it. Like I felt it was weakness, Um, you know, the tears that would come at unexpected moments, the anger, the weariness, Um, sometimes just, you know, the day after day grind of caring for our son. And so when I find myself grieving, it's like, well, what's wrong with me? Why, why can't I just buck up and handle this? And um, I think I've learned two things and like, and you just like you both said, just that it's important to lament it and lamenting it means that we're taking it to God. And so I've learned to, I don't want to say necessarily embrace it because it's not always fun to grieve, but I've learned to welcome the opportunities that I can to take it to the Lord. I feel like it's this invitation to, again, be honest with him, not filter what I'm saying, not filter my feelings, but just I'm lamenting it, but in that lament, there's just that hope. Um, and so I I think that the process of it changing through the years is just learning to learning what to do with it when it comes and having some of those strategies and having some of those um, processes to to learn and um, yeah, yeah. And I know, specifically you have an exercise and we'll talk a little bit more about this later but um or actually we'll just have information in the show notes so make sure to go on to carrie's website at carriemholt.com to check it out but it's called eight practices for processing grief and so i have to admit that whenever i saw that i was like practices and processing it is action i can do it i was so excited you know because it was like not eight feelings of grief i'm like i don't want to know the feelings i want to know the practice i want to action and i want to be able to do it and i thought i need check boxes but i love this exercise that you have and one of the things that i think that people overlook 
at least with me, and I'll just speak to myself, but one of the things that I overlooked whenever I first started this was, and I, I talked about this a little bit in my episode, was when we first received TJ's diagnosis, it was terminal. And so it was basically like, you have 15 years, take them home and love them. Like that was mm-hmm. about the diagnosis wrapped up in a few sentences. And I remember feeling the grief, but I thought, surely that's not how I felt. I, I, I didn't label it as grief because I thought he's he's still with us. So what I am feeling cannot be grief. Mm-hmm. And once I realized that it was grief... And that it is a continuous process. Like, Amy, you said, it's something that's ongoing. And I think that that is one thing that I think really joins all special needs parents together is that we don't have the same diagnoses, but we have the same feelings and the same fears. And so when it comes to that, I think that that is just a beautiful way. It's not the greatest connection, but I'll take it. And I'm I'm glad that there's other people that understand me. Um, But one of the things... And I would like to see what you guys have if you have a specific practice. And like, if you have a specific practice that you know, like we know that grief is coming and um, with hospital stays or infusions or whatever that looks like, but there's also the surprises. And Amy, I would think that you have surprises a lot, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you also know, you also know that the surprise will come. So there is some consistency that it's going to come. I just don't know when it is. So for me, whenever we we traveled to Baltimore every 28 days for about two and a half years for this clinical trial. And so, and then we also had his doctor's appointment out east and we couldn't afford both of us going out. So only one of us did. And I knew every time the cardiologist or the pulmonologist or the neurologist would give us the stats, his his lung function has decreased by this percentage or his heart function has decreased by this percentage. I knew it was going to come. I knew I was alone with my child. I had to somehow navigate the Baltimore chaos to go back to the hotel. But I came up with a way that I would go after every doctor's appointment. I always told TJ I didn't like hospitals and they make me feel dirty. It's become an issue now because now he thinks I have to take showers. But I'd always go in the bathroom and take a shower or at least turn the water on. And that's where I would cry. And it sounds... And I think it helped me. I'm I'm really going somewhere with this, so stick with me. But I think that it helped me because as I was in those moments, I was able to stay strong. And I was able to power through it at the moment because I knew I had given myself some space and I just needed to make it back to the hotel, get in that bathroom, and I was going to have my time with the Lord, with my grief, with myself. So all of that to say, do you guys have any like specific practices or way that Carrie, I know you have a ton of hospital stays. So is there a way that you know that's coming up? And I'd like for both of you to speak to that. But Carrie, would you start with that part of it? Yeah, I think for me, usually a specific practice is just worship music and praise. Um, I know I mentioned that album earlier, but there's another album by I Am They. And I I can't remember the name of it, but one of the songs on there is Scars. And it I just sometimes playing that music, and I know that sounds kind of strange, but, you know, listening to the hard songs, but about pain and about doubting, but also about faith, it there's such a cathartic release for me when I can sing and cry and pray and, you know, let out the grief, let out the pain 
and the sadness and even the anger over, you know, what we've had to go through. And it just helps me to release it instead of keeping it bottled up inside because I you're you put that armor on and I think we all do this as special needs moms. We have to gear up, we have to buck up, we have to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and you know, and and when you have kids who can read your emotions and they can understand what's going on, you don't feel like you can necessarily cry in front of them all the time or you're in the middle of a major hospital stay or major decision making and you have to be able to think. You can't be uh, you, we can't be a hot mess. And so after that, it's time to release it. And it's one of those things that you can't force either. I think it has to I've learned that I can't I can't necessarily say, okay, on Tuesday, three months after this hospital stay, I am going to grieve what has just happened. It just comes unexpectedly. And when it comes, I have my journal and, and writing out how I'm feeling. And then I have my music and that cathartic release of prayer, praise, and praying and crying out to the Lord. That's great. How about you, Amy? Well, our um, moments of our issues that come up are, as you say, behavioral. So it might be a call from the principal for some parents. I haven't had this yet, but a call from the police. It may be um, a child that runs away. So in those situations, like, for example, when when somebody gets expelled from school or you get to, like, I know the principal well. (laughs) So so when I get that call from the principal, it's such a, it's a behavioral issue that is probably harming somebody else. So your first thought is, I got to go deal with this. I have to walk into a situation that I already feel guilty my child has caused some kind of emotional or physical pain to somebody. I already feel guilty that, you know, the cafeteria worker at the school that witnessed this has no idea what kind of parent I am. You know, there's all that's going through my head and I have to go in and deal. And, and um, so for me, there's a, there's a lot of guilt and shame in those moments. So, um, and I've gotten better at that, but I go in and deal. I kind of get on my um, mom armor and just go in and take care of the problem. And then the next day I have a practice that I do um, And what it is, I write, this is what happened. So-and-so was expelled from school. This is the story I was telling myself. I'm a really crappy mom. (laughs) And then, but this is what I know to be true, that God has this in his hands. And that process settles me right down. Um, And I would say, too, that sometimes when we're constantly putting out fires, especially moms of kids with... um, behavioral issues, you have to recognize that you're grieving. Sometimes my grief looks like overdoing. And sometimes it just looks like it's not crying because I'm just, I'm kind of mad that all this is happening. Sometimes it looks like anger. And sometimes it looks like wanting to sleep a lot or whatever. But recognizing that too, I think makes me realize, oh, okay, I'm feeling grief. And I'm grieving because of the situation that we're in with this child. So I think that's another important part, just being able to recognize what you, how you react and what you are feeling, which may not look like what we think as grief, you know, the tears and the crying. Definitely there's those moments too. But um, I think that's an important part for me too, to kind of get outside my own head a little bit and really write through. This is what happened. This is what I was telling myself, but this is what I know to be true. Um, that That is so grounding for me. May I add too that, one of the things that I have learned to help just a specific practice is 
There are definitely moments, especially around anniversaries, where I have what I call situational depression, where I just don't feel like doing anything. I just, I, you know, I have to force myself to do laundry or even I, you know, do school with my kids. Um, And I used to feel really guilty about that. And I have just learned to speak truth to myself that this is just for a time. This is just right now. And also the practice of not assuming that I'm always going to feel this way, that the future is always going to look like this, that this is just a season right now. So I think that practice of being gentle with yourself is really important too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And not to get started on a psychiatric tangent, but like you said, you have situational depression and I have seasonal So there are certain things that is just, it's seriously, there's no rocket science. I have, I have a light lamp that I know Mm -hmm. in certain times of the year, I sit in front of it for five to 10 minutes. And sometimes my husband has to say very gently and very sweetly, and I still take it wrong sometimes, but how's the light lamp? I haven't seen your light (laughs) lamp out. (laughs) Oh, get it. (laughs) But... You know, just because we have the special needs grief doesn't mean that we still don't have the other aspects of life that go along with it. And I right. think taking care of that, like you said, Amy, your your exercise where you this is what happened. This is the truth, you know, as I saw it or this is the situation as I saw it. And this is the truth behind it. I have something similar I do for fear because for mine, my fear with my son just can be so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I know there's no truly overcoming grief um i think like and i love that again it's just i love that's why carrie you said it's eight processes or eight practices for processing grief it's it's not dealing with it or faking it until you make it it's it's processing grief and you never truly overcome it and so not to get too pollyanna but is there a is there can you share with us how grief and the duration of grief that we've all been in this for a hot minute, um, how that has become a positive thing or how you view it, how you can turn that into a positive thing in your life. How how does a special needs mom listening to us right now who is right in the beginning of it and they're still in that diagnosis fog or what have you, how do they how do they really start to look long term and think, okay, I can do this. This is something that will come of it. I mean, I think I would tell the listeners that honestly, some of it was just changing that expectation of I didn't realize how closely grief and the special needs journey walk hand in hand and and that it does it's not something to conquer. Like you said, it's not something to overcome. It's not something to be to, you know, for it to be final, but it's something that, and again, like, I don't want this to sound strange, but that we kind of embrace it because it's something that God can use to draw us closer to him. We see it with David in, in scripture that he would cry out to the Lord and say, where are you? You're hiding your face from me. You know, and then a few verses later, he would say, I trust you. You're my refuge. You're my stronghold. No, stronghold. And I know that he didn't come to that conclusion right away. You know, he's a poet. He's a songwriter. Sometimes, you know, writing poetry takes years, months, 
it takes time to process. And so I would just encourage, you know, our listeners and and you that might not understand grief or you're just learning this process that just give yourself grace and that it just it does take time. But it is a tool. It is something that with our choices that we can draw and take that step closer to God. Just like you, I think, Sarah, you were quoting Psalm that says, the Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And and understanding that there is hope on the other side, no matter what, we have hope on the other side of our of our griefs. I think I would say that um, that is great, Carrie. And I would say that I call it looking for God in the hidden places and in the dark places. Um, I've had a lot of grief in my life, even unrelated to being the special needs mom. And I've had to learn to look for him in the everyday. And I'm not trying to sound Pollyanna about that. It literally sometimes is the bird on the feeder outside my window. You know, just anything that's going to point me to God and scripture and um, writing down the things in my life that lift my heart a little bit, even if it's a really hard day. But Carrie, you're so right that it is a processing. You won't always be this low. You kind of write it out and then it kind of ebbs and flows. But, you know, scripture says that he walks beside us always in the valley of the shadow of death. And I remember that over and over again, that he is walking beside us. And I would also like to say that Carrie's resource, I read it. It's it's phenomenal. So if you are struggling with working through that grief, um, there's a lot there. There's a lot there that will help you work through it. Um, but that that's what I say, just looking for him in all the hidden places. It's almost like you're taking little sips of air as you go, you know, because you can't yeah. take a big breath. And so I call it little sips of grace along the way. And that's kind of how I get through some of the really hard days. And I, yeah. I think once you learn how to process grief... And you allow yourself that space and then you allow others to help you and you turn to God. All of those things combined really teach you how to fundamentally handle a lot of other emotions that come with this journey. Mm -hmm. So I know for me, once I admitted I can grieve my son. Yes, he's alive. Yes, I love him. I have a phenomenal life. I love it. But once I was able to grieve the dreams we had or, mm-hmm. I, you know, the future that I know is going to be difficult, and I was okay with that, and I stopped beating myself up about it. I stopped talking about the guilt, which, by the way, we're going to be talking about guilt next month because that's <laughs> yeah. a biggie. Um, but I think once you accept the grief and you lean into it and you trust God and those around you, it really is easier to help yourself with other situations. Because, yeah, Amy, like you said, we don't, it's not that, okay, well, we have special needs children, so no other grief whatsoever comes your way. Um, Life is going to (laughs) happen. And I would say, too, that people don't understand grief. Um, I say in my episode, death is not a prerequisite, is the only thing we grieve. So find people that you can, that will walk with you, because there are people that, We'll be like, well, what are you grieving for? Because she's alive or she's this or she's that. And like, no, I'm still grieving these things. So it's really important because I think if you're around somebody who shuts it down, then you're going to shut down. So find your people 
that you can safely grieve with and who understand. Um, I think that's that's a really important part of this, too. Yeah, Definitely. I agree. Thank you, Amy. That's That's a really good part of it. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, Carrie, would you close us out in prayer? Sure. Dear Father, we are just so grateful that you are near to us in our grief, that you are near to those who are brokenhearted. And I ask that you will be near to those who are listening right now. Be near to those who are grieving, who are crushed in spirit, because sometimes we literally feel crushed. I pray, Father, that they will feel your presence and that they will understand the truth and the hope in Revelation where it says that the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. That you will wipe every tear away. That death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Lord, our hearts long for that hope. Our hearts long for that day when we will be complete and whole and in your presence fully. And I just ask that you will encourage our hearts today with that promise and that love, and you will be near us in our grief. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week on Take Heart. If you are loving our podcast, would you do us a favor and leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to? You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Take Heart Special Moms. If you have any questions or comments or would like to share your story with us, follow the links in our show notes. We love hearing from you guys. Listen in next Tuesday as Amy shares her thoughts on guilt.